In this episode, I speak with Beverly McNaughton, an artisan honey producer from Australia. Bev was raised on a small farm outside Brisbane, Australia, and has always had an affinity with nature and animals. Bee fever hit later in life and her expanding apiary led Bev and her family to relocate from a seaside suburb in Brisbane to acreage on the glorious Sunshine Coast hinterland, where Bev's beekeeping journey continues to grow. She chats with me about the extreme importance bees play in our entire ecosystem and why we can't do without them. Welcome to the Rare Conversations podcast. I'm Leonie Milano, and I chat with creative entrepreneurs and business owners around the world about what it takes to start, sustain, scale, and sell a business. We talk about real life scenarios to help you understand the path before you to inspire your journey. I transitioned from working in film, TV, and global events to working with creative entrepreneurs through mindset coaching and mentoring. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs embrace the journey, understand themselves better, accelerate their growth, and get the most out of life, making sure they have a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Hi, Bev. It's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. I love your business of taking care of honeybees, being a beekeeper. I also think that it would be a very difficult job to have. Can you tell me where did you get the idea to start this business? About, uh, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, I was part of a crowdfunding program by a new sort of invention called the Flow Hive from a couple of guys down in Byron Bay. They'd invented this amazing beehive. Oh, I've seen I that. I just wanted to support them. Yeah, so I wanted to support them. I thought, good on you for going and having a go. I got one of these U-Butte things. And I guess just from there, so it wasn't just about having that hive for me then. It was just about finding out everything I could and expanding. And that was just sort of a beginning point for me. So, yeah, I've just gone from there. And and once you start, it's just down a, a rabbit hole. You just keep going and finding out more and more and more about them. It's it's such a interesting pastime. I think that's with every hobby. (laughs) When we started as a hobby before we think, okay, this could be a business. For anybody that doesn't know about this, this flow hive, it really took off and went viral. I remember seeing the fundraising page. It looked incredibly effective. Did it work really well? The concept actually does work really well. I think what people fail to realise is that you still have to have hands-on management of the bees themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. the advertising shows this beautiful, clean honey running out of the pipes, which it does, but there's actually work that goes into what we call the brood box, which is like the mechanics of the hive. And you have to understand everything about bees to be able to get the best from your hive. So it's like having an office staff. If you don't actually know who's meant to be doing what and how to manage them properly, you're not going to get the results that you want. So can you walk me through the whole process? Say somebody wants to have bees. What is the process? Where on earth do you buy the bees with the queen bee in there? It's almost like sourdough needs to have a starter. 
So you obviously need the bees, but you have to have that queen bee in there. Absolutely. So normally what you'll do is what I suggest to people if they're thinking about it is if you can join a local club. So there's usually in in different areas, there's these bee clubs and people that have been doing it for way longer than I have. And you can get mentors. So every spring, sort of coming around spring, like everything, that's when the bees start to ramp up their production. That's when the the trees start flowering and that's when your hive starts to expand. So what you want to do is get yourself in contact with a beekeeper because at that point their hives get so busy that we split our hives, we call it splitting them, and that we make nucleus boxes, we call them nukes, where we will actually put in some frames of um, honey and bees and brood. And then we'll normally get a, a queen from a queen breeder. And that oh, will make... it interesting. We, we use a queen breeder most of the time because they have... It's like farming anything. You, you can do it mm. yourself, but the queen breeders have got the genetics for certain bees that are calmer and it's just a way of getting the pedigree that you were, yes. if you were breeding dogs or something. That's so So we will do that and then you sell the nuke box and that's what you need to start your hive. So people need to have their hive set up at home and then they mm-hmm. buy a nuke from a beekeeper and that starts them on their way. And so with the queen bee comes how many worker bees? When you buy a queen bee, you just buy the queen and she'll just the... the um, breeder will send a couple of worker bees with her so Mm -hmm. often they can post them through the post um because they'll put them into it yeah as long (laughs) as it's not too hot when there's like insane temperatures too hot or too cold or whatever they can't but they'll do an express post and as long as they're climate controlled they're they're actually fine so you can actually get them sent by post they will put them into a, a little queen cage and there'll be some what we call candy, which is like a, an icing sugar mixture that's made up. So the queen's got something to eat and the workers mm-hmm. for a couple of days. And she has a couple of workers in that cage with her to tend to her as well. So like the ladies. Hilarious. Hilarious. And uh, <laughs> so she only comes with a couple of bees. So you would actually have your, your others ready. And when she comes along, you do a little introduction and pop her in her cage into the into the hive. And what that does is the queen has all these pheromones and she sends out her pheromones through the hive that we've made, the little ones that we've taken from um, other hives. And those bees then realise that they didn't have a queen before because they've had a few days without a queen. And she says, well, I'm here now and you just better get used to it. And um, <laughs> over the next few days... The the workers in that hive will eat the end of the candy block and she will come out. But you do that so that if you put her in just straight away, you risk them rejecting her and killing her. So over a few days she has some time to assimilate into the hive and then she'll escape out of there once they eat that hole through that food. This is like movie worthy. <laughs> the whole process. It is so interesting I had no idea it was this intricate how many queens have you got well I've got about 20 hives Mm -hmm. um so obviously I've got 20 queens 
So you only ever have one per hive, right? You'd never have only two. one per hive. Yeah. Right. So what ha- queens are really, really territorial. Sometimes when something happens, or when I spoke about earlier, where in in summer or spring your hives really expand. If, if you don't thin those hives out, you'll get what's called a swarm. So people might have heard about swarms, bees mm-hmm. swarming. That's when that the queen, the original queen, will take sort of half of that hive. And she'll move off to find another place. And before she moves, she makes sure that there are some queen cells where they're going to make some more queens to populate that hive that she's left behind. Now, there'll usually be quite a few. There might be, you know, between six, eight, ten little um, queen cells. And it's a rush to see who can get out their cell first because the first one get it that gets out runs around and kills all the others. So oh as they're God. coming out or while wow. <laughs> they're really ruthless. So she well, wants to get out first. Fascinating. Have you so, seen yeah, this happen? But I haven't I haven't seen them killing them because it's usually it's, in the hive. Yeah. You usually try and avoid that to happen because first of all, you don't want to lose half your bees. That that's a lot of bees to lose. And secondly, you've usually got to try and get them down from it tree or something if you can so it's not the sort of thing you necessarily see but you will see there are some great videos on youtube where people have been able to film that they've been studying them and and it's really cool to watch but they're really territorial so they want to get out there first so they can either sting them through the actual little cell or kill them so yeah there's always only one queen very very rarely you might find two sisters living together but that's really not the norm and that's not how it usually works and I have seen a picture of your hives that are really beautiful and colorful they're all stacked together so whilst they're territorial they still hang out in the same neighborhood they do because every when bees hatch they have a certain process of what they do at different times of their life so when they first hatch they first thing they do is spend the first few days cleaning their cell and other cells and then they'll move on to feeding larva and things like that and in about four or five days they do what's called an orientation flight so where they come out the front of their hive and then they sit in front of their hive and they just sort of basically hover and what they're doing is they're taking notice of which is their hive what color where it's located So you can have all those hives next to each other and they will know how to come back to their hive. So it's okay to have them all next to each other. So the queen goes out and about (laughs) for a frolic every day or she stays in most of the time? She's not much of a frolicker, no. um, (laughs) She goes out. She's a one-timer usually. So once it happens, when she's about, you know, seven, ten days old, the temperature's got to be right. So you have to have the certain temperature and um, certain weather conditions. And what happens at that temperature is you'll have drones from other hives or from other areas and they all circulate up in the sky at a certain level. And a virgin queen is one that's hatched but hasn't mated yet. So old Queenie, she flies up there and she has herself a good old time. She might mate from anywhere from one to, you know, however many, many, many drones. The unfortunate thing for the drone is that once he's mated, he's dead. That's it for him. He's out the sky and gone for. Yeah. Do they know this? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, be it's not it. so much fun being a drone. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't do anything else. They, they literally do nothing else. So, yeah, she'll come back and she will be able to lay. She, you know, she'll then form her eggs and she only needs that 
one mating with all those drones that will sustain her throughout her laying life. So she doesn't, the, the last thing she wants to do is leave the hive because as soon as she leaves the hive, she's at risk from bee eaters, from anything else. And if, if something happens to her, then the whole hive is at risk. So she's, that's why she's the queen. She's the centre of everything. Right. So she is fully in charge of production on many levels. She's in full, yeah. She's, she, well, yes, she is. She provides the eggs, but it's your, your work well, with bees. Well, it's the workers, They're the ones isn't it? that actually... They do everything, the you know, work. from the time she lays the egg, they, they tend the eggs, they tend the larva, they do the um, protecting, they go and forage. So other oh, than so that. Oh, so she's having a are, cushy life. Well, yeah, I guess if you can imagine it like that. But, um, you know, I don't know <laughs> if I'd want to be having, you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know either. <laughs> uh, one and a half million babies in my lifetime. <laughs> what? Do they have... So, yeah, they can lay up to, yeah, over a lifetime. That's how many eggs they can sort of lay. And it depends on hive conditions and food conditions and things, but absolutely. So her other role, I guess, is she, she'll she be seen crawling over all the different hive, all the different frames, just keeping her pheromones around and keeping the, the whole unit cohesive. But basically she's the egg layer. So the worker bees go out, then they come back, and the production grows with the right conditions? Essentially, yes. You have house bees and then you have worker bees. So oh. they're all female. So the house bees tend to the cleaning, um, the guard duties and feeding, and then the worker bees, once they get to about oh, a couple of weeks old, they are the ones they can then go out and forage and they bring back the pollen and the nectar. And when they bring it back, they actually have to, if it's a really busy, like what we call a, a honey flow, is, is when there's lots of nectar in the trees and lots of honey and they're really bringing it back. And what the, the guys at the door, there's like the entrance, they check to make sure that everyone's in line. So there has to be, when the worker bee comes back, they have to then offload their luggage, their, their pollen Hilarious. and things. So there's got to be enough, they've got to be ready for them. So it's like being at the loading dock and if there's no one there to offload, then you can't come in yet. They- dispatch, please. <laughs> Can we get dispatch? I know. They're <laughs> like, yeah, we're backed up out here. Can you move a bit faster? <laughs> they, maybe I wonder if they swap the roles around for a little bit and let the women go out and do the work. But this is well, very it's all women. They're all girls. The worker so bees are girls? The worker bees are the girls. The only males are the what? drones. Okay, I didn't and know this. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's a, it's a whole, it's an all-girl, you know, thing. It's oh, this uh, is amazing. The men are there, the, the drones are there just for that one-off thing, and uh, and they're done. Come winter, sorry, man. <laughs> it's not so great. It sounds good because they just walk around the the hive and just eat whatever the drones. They don't do much. But either they either die, they've been lucky up in the sky, or come winter when things start to slow down. The, uh, the girls kick them out and they just freeze outside and die. So, yeah. so sometimes winter you'll, you'll see or if, if there's a lack of food or anything, you know, you'll see all these drones that they've kicked out where they've gone, well, you guys are done for. We don't need to make some more next spring. So, I only recently learned how critical bees are to our lives, to the world. Absolutely. Can you talk yeah, a bit absolutely. about that? Because I don't think people realise I don't think they do either. People have a fear of them. They they gain all we don't want to hide. Even when we moved to our current property, 
which is on several acres. And the neighbours came over who were also on certain, you know, they were in a panic because we had beehives. And I said, well, then they're really not going to bother you. People have a fear of things, you know, they they have a fear yeah. that they're going to get stung. and But they really don't realise that if you want those fruit trees on your place to grow, you've got to have the bees. If you want fruit, food, or if you want to have that nice garden, you've got to have those bees. So when the, when the bees go into forage for pollen, every time they go in to check out a plant, they carry tiny bits of that to the next plant. And that's how things pollinate. Now, if you don't have that pollination, then nothing's going to keep growing. You're not going to get the flowers. You're not going to get the fruit. You're not going to get the abundance of things that we take for granted here. In other countries, I think, you know, like in China and other places, they're hand pollinating because they have actually lost so many bees that they have to run around with little paintbrushes and pollinate the, the things themselves. You just can't do that. It's not sustainable. So what about bee production? Did your, did your neighbour thank you after you educated them? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got to educate them too much yet. Oh, when we take some honey over, I just I think they'd be fine. quite fascinated to learn about this, actually. It's, I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're only, like I said, we're only new to the area where we are here. But most people are. I have in my little shop where I have another business as well, we sell our honey there. And in spring, when it's really busy, I have an observation hive. And that means that it actually has perspex on the sides of a certain section. And I take that in and I educate people there. So I can show them what the brood looks, things that they would never see. Think brood looks like in the nest. So these are when they're being fed still. And these ones are when they're about to be covered over. And these ones are about to hatch. And sometimes you can see the queen bee. And we talk about the um, the production and, and how they work. And people are fascinated, you know, they really are. And I love being able to do that because it's a visual thing. And when people see something visual, it's, it's a lot easier to understand when you start pointing it out. And if people are, if you're having the capability of having swarms, then wouldn't places like China be grabbing bees from Australia, a lot of bees, or can they not travel that far? Look, I don't, I don't think it's worth, it's not about that. It's about how they, if there's enough there for them to feed on to start with sometimes. I mean. Right. In, uh, are you, know, you like talking of, about in terms of gardens, flowers? In, in terms what, of what's gardens around? and it also depends on the weather. Australia is very fortunate that we don't have, first of all, we don't have a lot of the diseases and pests that are uh, decimating bee populations overseas. So, you know, our quarantine laws are very strict and we're trying to keep all that out. Secondly, we don't have the extreme temperatures that some places do. In, in places where you have snow in winter and, and deep snow, they, they board their bees up in winter and, and many beekeepers actually professional beekeepers I'm talking some of them will just it's not worth them doing that and they just destroy their hives at the end of the year and then start over which I I just don't like the thought of doing at all you know I can't I just wouldn't like to do that that. can't they bring them inside people are known to do that I know put them them in a room somewhere so it's not what's that they could put them in a room somewhere couldn't they I don't know how, I, I couldn't comment on, I don't know how, you know, expensive that is or, or what the logistics of that is or anything like that. But I do know you have things like almond plantations where they take 
uh, you'll get professional beekeepers who move their hives everywhere. They'll move them to pollinate because there's not enough. And because there's such a dense amount when you're doing like almond farming, but that only lasts a certain amount of time. And you have to be able to have somewhere to take those bees afterwards for them to keep producing. If that's not the case and if you don't have those things in um, a reasonable distance, then I guess you're sort of leaving yourself at a bit of a loss. It's like having cows where you've got a great pasture over here, but once that's done, there's nothing else. You've got to be able to have something within reasonable distance for them to... You have to have feed, right? What do you do if you have no feed around? We've had a really bad honey season this year. We've had a really poor honey production. I've not taken any honey from any of our hives. Now, this happens when you... People don't realise, again... We've had a lot of rain where I am, a lot of rain. Now, when you have a lot of rain, it washes out all the pollen and the nectar. So the bees, first of all, the bees can't get out to go and get it. And then second of all, when they can, it takes several weeks for the plants to actually produce that back to come back in. So over that time, they've got to have those stores. So that's one of the things you have to be really careful of is not to take too much honey and from your hives because they need to be able to sustain themselves. It's a problem that um, a lot of amateur beekeepers or new beekeepers often make. Our hives, they've had honey, but some of them have reduced down in size to they've used all their honey stores from the honey, the what we call the honey box on top. They're down in their brood box and they've actually had to reduce the size of their brood box because it's not enough food to feed all the bees. So we started feeding some of ours and what that entails is we make up a sugar syrup mix and we have feeders that go on top of our boxes and we put this mix in there and the bees can get up and to drink it without drowning it. There's a certain little box that you have. And then um, we also put out pollen. We have pollen for them as well because if you don't have pollen, the queen can't raise more young. So that's where we're at the moment is actually feeding ours to get them through this stage so that the stri- the, um, most of the hives will still be strong once things clear up a bit more. When you're doing your bee production, I don't know how that flow hive works. Are you lifting the, you know, when you see the the, the honeycomb, yeah. big pieces are being lifted up and out. How are yeah. you actually drawing the honey out? Okay. So we've only got one flow hive, but the rest of ours are all just normal frames that you'll see most beekeepers have. And we have what's called a, a, a honey spinner. And it can fit eight frames in ours. And you spin the honey. You start off slower and then faster and faster. So it's in a big round sort of tank. And you put these frames into little holders. They spin it slower and slower and slower. And then it goes back the other way. And it spins the uh, force of the spinning, spins the honey out. It's then drained from there into through strainers and into buckets. And And have um, you taken all the bees off? You've oh, taken yes. all the bees so, off yeah. of the... So basically you... Oh, I forget. You, you, <laughs> you, you open it up. So basically you open up your hive. You, mm. you look to make sure before you take any honey out, we want to make sure that it's all capped. Now, capping is when it's all sealed. So you've probably seen on honeycomb, you've got those little... It's all sealed. If you take it out before that, what's going to happen is that the honey's going to ferment because honey in nectar itself is about 80% water. What the bees do is they bring it back, they then mix it with some enzymes and things and they put it into these little cells and then they use their little wings and they fan it until it gets down to about between 16 and 20%. 
and then they cap it. So if you take that honey before it's capped uh, and before, you know, there's enough moisture taken out of it, you're going to get honey that ferments. So it's not going to last and then it's not going to be good and, it, and, and basically no one should be taking honey that hasn't been capped like that. Hey everyone, I'm excited to jump in here and let you know about my upcoming program for 2022. People say knowledge is power, but that's not entirely true. If you do nothing with that knowledge, it's worthless. If you implement it, you become unstoppable. Creating your own business takes work, commitment, dedication to getting tasks done, working through the frustrations when you realize it's more than you thought and you feel like you're always on the verge of quitting. The easy thing to do is give up but that just perpetuates a cycle because when there is something you can't stop thinking about, something that you really wanna create, you'll never be able to shake it. What we're not taught in school is how our brain actually works. It is so hardwired with our individual beliefs based on our own life experiences that it takes the utmost awareness to know what you need to do differently to achieve your goals. This is the single biggest thing that can be the deciding factor on how well you live your life. When you're starting a new business, there are stages you need to go through. Analysis, planning, testing, strategizing, taking action in tandem with accountability and support, etc. This is what I help my clients with. In my 10-week program, I'll take you from being stuck and not knowing how to grow to getting clarity and confidence that will get you to the next level. We'll make sure your niche target market offer and strategy is solid by implementing systems and a step-by-step -step action plan to strengthen your foundation that will allow you to grow faster than you could have imagined. You'll gain clarity and confidence with every step, not ever having to return to where you were ever again. I work with a limited number of clients at any time and to really help you, it needs to be a mutually beneficial fit. This is for someone serious about their growth, for someone who's tired of just getting by to having a healthy business that actually makes money. If this sounds like something you're interested in, send me an email to hello at leonimilano.com. That's L-E-O-N-I-M-I-L-A-N-O.com with the word apply and we can jump on a call to see if this works. If you can tell me one thing that you got out of this episode, I'll add an exclusive bonus. Now let's get back to the episode. So we want to make sure we check our frames and make sure that they're capped. Maybe we just take out some that are, I mean, you might have a couple of little bits that aren't, but, you know, as long as, you know, most of it is capped, you're going to be okay. And then we take that and we we remove, we take all, take it, take all the bees off, put it aside and then when we've got what we're taking, we take it up and we have to remove that capping. So we call the capping the top part and we use, there's different methods of doing it, you know, bigger productions than ours, they have automatic machines. Some people that are small will just use a knife. We have a steamer that we use and we basically um, run this steamer over the top which takes off the top cappings. Then we pop them into our spinner and then we spin it. Then we drain it, uh, strain it, and um, then it's ready for bottling. And can you tell visually if honey is off? Is there something that you can see? I mean, there's so many different colours, but I'm thinking more. Oh, in like the colours the are generally to do with what's in flower. 
So yeah. it will come from what nectar's around, um, what pollen's around. So the colour can really, really vary. It's not so much the colour. You can usually smell it. If it's off, you'll smell a fermented sort of smell. But we actually have a little refractometer, it's called, and you can test the level of moisture in your honey. So if you need to check to test, you can actually see, you know, that it's below a certain level. And, you know, you do that from time to time on a batch to make sure that the honey is at the right level if you're worried mm. about it at all. Oh, that's but, good. Um, yeah. And yeah. Do, you, do you have a beekeeping suit and do you use that smoke thing as well? The smoker, we absolutely do. So what the smoker does is it's sort of the queen sends out messages to, and she can actually send out little messages to all the worker bees. And if she sends out a messenger, you know, then or, or they can communicate to themselves as well. So the smoker just sort of disorientates that messaging mm. system a little bit for a while. So instead of them all going, right, the top's open and she's here trying to steal our honey again, you know, let's get her. Um, that that basically <laughs> just sort of like crosses the wires for a little while and calms them down a little bit. I like to put a little bit of lavender. We grow a bit of lavender and sometimes I pop a bit of that in there to sort of calm down whether it works or not. I, I like to think it works. But, <laughs> but, um, Placebo effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like to do that. And um, so we do that first and that just, yeah, makes it so that when you're not taking the lid off, so normally you'll raise the lid a little bit pop a little bit of smoke underneath, pop the lid down, let that go through and then lift it up. And I absolutely wear a bee suit. I'm not brave. I wear gloves. I don't always wear gloves. Oh. It depends on what I'm doing. So if mm. I'm just having a little look, I don't tend to wear gloves because the bees aren't usually angry or, you know, upset or anything like that. If I'm doing something sort of more drastic with the hive like where maybe them. I'm shaking them out or, you know, right. something, then I'll wear gloves. Ah, uh, okay. What makes a bee very angry besides the obvious of causing a ruckus around them? What would make them yes, well, go crazy? You can actually get really hives that are just angry hives, and that's why I was saying earlier it's really important to get um, queens from a queen breeder because if you've got a hive that's, mm. that's angry, it's come from the queen. So all a, a lot of the time it's come from the queen. So basically you want to get rid of her and then uh, and replace her with a queen that's come from a nice a good queen stop. that's come from a nice calm a queen, queen that has that has had therapy <laughs> yeah 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 no, she's she's, dealt with her trauma she's no good you want to get rid of her and what will happen is you'll put her in there and so she will breed out that you know she'll go and mate and she will her, she'll already be mated so, so the queen breeders what's great about them is that your queen has been bred from quiet hives. They've also been mated with drones in a sort of like a secluded apiary where they've got control of the drones that are around them. So um, you, you'll have a, usually a, a nice quiet queen. So her eggs are going to then take over and she's going to eventually replace all those bees that are in there and you'll have a quiet hive again. Some, some are just made, you know, some are just nasty. They're just like that. I don't know. Um, Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> but, it is really fascinating and, and that's why once you start, it's very hard to stop at one because, you know, you, you know as things go, you know, get better at it, you, you've got to keep expanding. And, you know, I'd like to say to anyone who wants to try, don't be discouraged if you don't succeed the first time. You know, look, I know our first couple of, our first year, we went through some terrible weather, some terrible problems. We had 
We just did the worst. My partner said, I would have just given up by now, but, you know, like I persevered and we got through that and now, you know, we're, we're really able to um, manage them a lot better and know what to look out for and know when you need to feed and things like that. But by no means am I the expert on bees, but I have learned so much that it just makes you want to tell people about them. It's just, it, I think it's the same with anything, anything new that you're learning. You, you, can't, you can't learn it by reading it. You have to take the action and learn through the, I don't even want to call them failures, but learning through those experiences and, you know, obviously getting a mentor and getting help to do it. Absolutely. Is it expensive? Absolutely. I, I think if you, uh, I guess that's relative to anything as well, isn't it? It is. It's relative to how far you go with it. Um, if you're just going to do your two hives and things, once you set up, I guess initially there is a bit of outlay because, you know, you've got to get your equipment. Not everyone's going to get a, um, a, a spinner like I have with eight frames and, and right. you know, all those things. If you're just wanting something for home, you can have, you know, one or two hives. I, I always say it's best to have two because you can work between the two of them. And once you've got your boxes set up and you've got your equipment, which is a smoke, your basic equipment, a smoker, you can get hand spinners. You don't have to have the latest technology and everything. And it's not expensive once you've got it set up. Uh, yeah, it doesn't need to be. And, and you will get that back in selling just to your neighbours and to your friends and, and having that fresh honey for yourself you'll make that back and if you want to try different you know I know in Australia we have an extraordinary diversity of honey that is available like a eucalyptus and all the beautiful florals what's your favorite I don't I don't have a favorite as such um we don't do the singular flavors because I don't move my hives um, mm-hmm. And you'll find that most of those will come from beekeepers that will actually move their hives to a certain area when it's flowering. So when these trees oh, okay. in this forest are flowering, they'll move them there so the bees are only collecting that and then they'll go and take those frames and process that. Um, mm-hmm. We don't do that. I don't like moving them. It's, you know, we're not set up for that. It's I like to just mm-hmm. have them in the, in the garden or in the paddocks and work sort of like that but the range of you get is growing. amazing when you look at different colors and the different flavors and some that will be really strong and some that will be very sweet uh, ours tend to be we just do a mixed blend of whatever's around and it was even that will vary in the seasons you'll just see different colors and variations the same as the pollen that comes in sometimes the pollen is bright bright yellow and sometimes it's really pale it just depends what's around at the time and it's always different isn't it Absolutely, it's different all the time. I love the fact that sometimes I'm walking down in the paddock and I just hear this buzzing and you look up and there's like some a tea tree or something in flower, you know. Oh, wow. And the bees are just, they, like literally you can hear them from 10, 15, 20 metres away. They're just so loud and they're all on it. They're all over it and it's great, you know, it's lovely. So if you can get anywhere that's got the tea tree in New Zealand, they have manuka honey, which has got mm. all these amazing therapeutic and um, medicinal purposes properties to it. All honey has a certain amount of that, but the manuka honey is very high in certain enzymes. The equivalent sort of over in Australia is the tea tree honey. So if you've mm. got honey that comes from the uh, the forests of the tea tree, that where they've actually got 
you have to have certain percentages of tea tree in there, you know, quite high percentages. So that's why they try and isolate it. Then that that is very, very similar to the Manuka honey. Are you highly influenced in your selection of what you would grow around you? I mean, obviously that's seasonal, but generally are you thinking this year I want to grow more lavender because I want to have that in the honey? No, we're not because we're, we're only on three acres or a certain amount of acres. We've got 40 acres behind us. You would need to get that really strong flavour. You would need to take those bees and put them into like the lavender fields. You okay. Know, to, yeah, so that's what I say when we have a mixed blossom. It's we very might have some lavender, We might have the tea tree. We have it all mixed in together. Mm. Um, but if, if you take them to... Um, you know, your lavender field, yeah, any of those big fields or, or any of your big orchards, you know, you can get more of that. We've got someone Reese, just nearby who actually um, wants some of our bees. He's got macadamias. But you really want to be able to have a dense area of just that one type of flower. And will he get his own bees or will he get you to take yours over and have a little play and the macadamia. Oh, he, he, he wanted me to take mine. I don't want to take them. He's got some. I said, come over. I'll show you how to manage them and how to build them up for you. You know how you can make more because he'd like to get more as well. So I'm going to just help him with setting that up and how to manage them and that. Do you know if you could possibly do it? I'm in the UAE. It gets really, really hot, 50 degrees Celsius in the summertime and extremely humid. Is there a possibility that you could produce inside a warehouse environment? And I guess that yeah, would be a hydroponic kind of controlled environment. I don't think you would be able to find the, I don't think you would have enough. Oh, you need a lot, right? I thought, I thought this was interesting here. I thought you might find this interesting. For one kilo of honey, Mm. A bee will visit more than, well, they visit more than 1 million flowers. So to make a kilo of honey, <laughs> bees will visit more than a million flowers. So, you know, if you look at that amount of, of honey that they've got to, a bee in its lifetime will produce something like a quarter or half a teaspoon of honey in its whole life. That's what it will take to produce that amount. of. So there's such a lot of work. It's such an intense process for them that there's so much work people don't realize the amount of work that goes into doing it and part of what I want to do is try and get people to realize the value of honey the value and you know in Australia I think we undervalue that whereas I think in um, you know European countries and, and especially places where they have all these diseases and things they value the process and they value the honey a lot higher than we intend we intend or we do over here that's some of the the things that I, I want to do that's part of what my business that I'm working towards this is a new business that and it wasn't just for myself it was for other beekeepers to um, educate yeah, them on just how to educate I mean them it's on an incredible process to give them something that I don't think they can get very readily in a lot of places so we have, um, we export, not us ourselves, but, you know, Australia exports honey around the world. What I'm looking towards more is honeycomb. Now, you can buy honeycomb from your local beekeepers. What we're doing is something a little bit different. Again, this, you know, to what a lot of people do, 
Have you ever seen the honeycomb where they cut it in a box and the honey? Yeah, I actually, I actually have some here. And if you can explain a little bit about that process, because I think with any kind of food, it's always advantageous to try to get it and consume it in its rawest form. Absolutely. Is that the point of the honeycomb besides it looking amazing on a platter and tasting amazing? (laughs) Well, it is. So normally from your beekeeper, you'll get honeycomb and they they will have frames and then they, um, okay, let me explain. When you're setting up a frame for honey normally, we put a wax sheet down the centre of the frame. So that's a pre-made wax sheet from beeswax but it's actually imprinted with the beginning of all the little cells that you use to the bees then form on. So that gives you a nice even honey, but that wax frame is a bit thicker. What we're doing is what your beekeeper will do then, he will actually let the um, bees form the honeycomb and then he will take a cutter and cut it. When he cuts that, he's actually cutting through some of that formed honeycomb and the honey is sort of oozing out and, you know, it's really nice. What we're doing, which is a little bit different, is we are using a thing called rounds and they sit in special frames that go into the beehive and then the bees come in and they build in these round circles. So they actually build a section of honeycomb in the round circles and then we take that out. When it's all capped, we take it out and it's it's, they filled it in on both sides of that sort of wax strip and it's all capped and we take it out. We don't actually cut it. We don't do anything to it. We just pop it into a container and seal it. So that is about the most raw, pure form of honey and honeycomb that you can get. So we're not interfering with it at all. And the thing with it being like that is that it's all sealed. So you're not getting air into it. It's just going to last forever, pretty much. They found honey in the tombs of the Egyptians that was still you're not going to die if you eat it honey is one of the only foods or I think is the only food that will never get that doesn't go off you know what about that fermenting though that you talked about before well fermenting that's when there's the honey's actually it's not honey yet it's still nectar see they haven't taken all the water out of it yet so that wasn't really honey but if you had honey and then it got water added to it or something again then yeah that's going to ferment you know that's how you make mead and things But honey Mm. itself, if it's been reduced down to the right and it's been sealed, it will just last. People actually confuse candied honey with being going off. They think when it goes sugary, they go, oh, the honey's gone off. And, Mm. in fact, that couldn't be more far from the truth. What that means is that's usually unprocessed honey. So when you get unprocessed honey, it hasn't had any sort of heat treatments or anything done, and in its natural form, it will go like that. And you just need to pop it into some boiling water, the container, and it will go back to its normal honey. So it hasn't actually gone off or it's not actually not edible or anything. It's actually totally natural to do that. Oh, I've had and that, that just before. Means prob- yeah, so it's, it just means you've got natural honey, which is what everyone should be wanting. In terms of your production, it hasn't been a good year in terms of all of the rain. What do you have on the horizon? I mean, it's, everything is cyclical, so the next good season is just around the corner. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be prepared for things like that. It's going to happen. We're more concerned with our hives staying healthy and strong than taking every last bit of honey or anything from our bees. We're so lucky. I live in Queensland uh, on the Sunshine Coast where 
the weather is really mild. So even in winter, often we get there's enough food around for our bees. Owls don't just all hibernate like they do in freezing cold sort of countries. Uh, so, you know, we're very hopeful that the coming months the rain will die back a bit, although they have predicted a pretty wet year over here. But, oh, they know, don't we'll have to hibernate for you because you no, have good so, weather. Yeah. So what happens in winter in, in your cold countries, the beekeepers will close off the hive and, and they'll put some food on top and they'll cover them up. So And the bees will stay inside and keep the brood or keep, though they reduce down in size. So the long? queen will only lay enough eggs for what she can provide food for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she'll just keep a, like a, a little She'll keep a tally. Until <laughs> Yeah, yeah, until until it's time to ramp up again and then she'll start spitting those eggs out again when the food comes in. So she won't just keep laying and go, oh, my God, right. I can't feed all these kids. She's going to just wow, say, well, this. you know, we're going to slow down and, and take it easy for the winter. And um, So intelligent. Here, we, we do have a little, yeah, we do have a little bit of that, but not as much. But even, like I was saying, um, I noticed one of my, what had been a big hive, some of them are doing great, but this particular one, it had used all its honey stores, and it's but it's reduced itself down to half the size. So the queen is just not laying as much. She's waiting now until they can start to ramp up again. Now it just depends on how strong that hive was. It, it was quite a, a good hive, but no, they're still alive. The hive hasn't died out. They've still got enough to keep them going, and you know we're just doing a little bit of supplementing feeding to get them through or to help through that. What a process. I, I think it's like with any hobby that you're something that you start or starting a business, there is so much work, so much maintenance. The there is there, there is a heap of maintenance and there is a lot of work, but it's not all the time. And we're sort of keeping it at a um, a level that I can manage. Part of the business plan for what I'm doing is with the honeycomb is that I would actually like to be able to not just produce our honeycomb, but I want to do something so that I can buy from local beekeepers and say, hey, put this system in place. I can give you a good price for your product and sell it overseas because I see too many people not getting what they should for the value of that product. So I would like to buy it from them and be able to export it to people overseas who can actually appreciate that amazing round disc that you take out of a, a box that's never been touched by human hands sort of thing or processed and put that on your amazing platter and then watch that honey ooze out and have it with your cheese and your biscuit. And There's nothing better than a, a nice piece of brie, a green piece of crunchy green apple which brings out the tartness and a little bit of honeycomb You don't, and, and put it on a biscuit. You don't taste the honeycomb when you're eating it. You don't taste the wax. You just eat it all. It's not going to hurt you. It's, it's got all the pollen and bits and pieces left in it still. Nothing's been processed. You capture all of that when you eat the actual pure honeycomb. You get everything that that bee colony that has put goodness. into that. Yes, it's amazing. It sounds like it is such a satisfying business to have. I think if I ever move to a, a country that I could do that, I think I would definitely want to have my own little beehive. Can you have one or two? Or that, Absolutely. And then you have to give bees away though, don't you? 
because they'll um, well, No, you don't. So you don't necessarily have to give them. Well, you can sell them. So what you do is when your hive gets too big or if it gets too big, where we spoke about where you split them and make a nuke, so mm. you buy like a little portable box sort of thing, you put them in there and then you buy a queen from a queen breeder. They can cost you anywhere between 30 and $50, but then you can sell that to someone else who wants to start. So, you know, you can actually, you know, make a little bit of money from that as well. Must be amazing bee communities around the world. I was fortunate enough to join a beekeepers club and they have a, a meeting once a month. And mm-hmm. I would suggest to anyone who is thinking about it, who would like to know more, even if you've already got a hive and you just want to, you know, hook up with some other people, is to go and find a local beekeeping club. Even mm-hmm. before you buy your hive, because there's different hives, there's so many different hives and different sizes and, you know, different things to consider. And then there's different, there's different strains of bees, there's different types. They're all honeybees, but they can be slightly different. Look into it before you actually buy your first hive and see what's mm. in the store. You can go out and do field days and they'll hook you up with a mentor. It's great to have someone bounce ideas off. And I think rather than try and do it yourself to be able to get some advice or some help from someone mm. when you're starting, because, you know, when you start anything new, you're always scared you're going to do the wrong thing. Mm. So just you'll get your confidence so much faster. And, and, and on the really right track. Is, yeah, and it really is a lovely pastime. You go down, if they're in the backyard, you make a cup of coffee or tea, you sit there and you watch the girls come in and out and see what they're bringing in each day. It's, it's, it's really quite a time waster. But it's so nice. Do you have a live camera on your bees? That would be quite funny. No, no, I don't. But you know, <laughs> you, could, you could set bee something cam. up. Yeah, bee cam <laughs> that you could set up that people could watch. <laughs> I think it would be quite lovely for people to, you know, if they need to like <laughs> zone out. That's cool. I'll have to have a look at that. Bee yeah, cam. Be Bev's funny. bee cam. <laughs> Bev's Beacon. <laughs> Bev, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an eye-opener for sure. How can people find you? Our honey is called Fusion Honey, fusionhoney.com. That's the name. And, and we came from that because ours is a blend of honeys, a natural blend. Um, we don't do one thing. And we'll ship worldwide using that, using our honeycomb rounds. So you can order them anywhere in the world and we will ship. This has been extremely informative. I love it. I have a much greater appreciation for honey than I have ever had. Oh, thanks so much for listening to me rattle on. I could keep going. (laughs) I love it. I really love it. And I love it when people are passionate about what they do. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks so much, Bev. Thank you. You've just finished listening to an episode of Rare Conversations. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love for you to leave a review and share it with a friend who you think would be interested in this topic. And if you have a business question, please send it in to us. We may very well answer it in our next episode. So be sure to tag me on social media at Leonie Milano. The show notes and other information can be found at www.leonimilano.com. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to having you back with us again soon.